Stefan Tolberg for Biz News. Universities worldwide rely on their alumni to contribute significantly to their revenue. A prime illustration of this phenomenon is Harvard University in the United States, where philanthropy stands as the single largest source of funding for the institution. Well, recently, the University of Pretoria, or DUCS, has taken proactive steps to tap into the potential of its alumni, and they've established foundations in both the US and the UK, aiming to engage with former students who have relocated to these destinations. Well, with me in the studio is Rika Stalport, the Director of Institutional Development at DUCS, to shed light on these initiatives. Welcome, Rikas. Thank you very much. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, well, what motivated you to establish these overseas um, foundations to engage with alumni? Yeah, so it's interesting. Unlike um, Harvard, we um, rely on three sources for our revenue. So the first one is government funding. The second one is tuition fees and accommodation fees. And then third stream income. So this is where we rely on our team going out and raising funds from foundations, institutions and um alumni you know locally and and across the world and if you if you have to divide it it'll probably be about a third from each of those income streams that contributes towards the income of the university so what we have realized that there's been a a significant decline in fact in the funding that we've received from government government over the past few years in the form of the of the block grants and uh, you know the other sort of funding that we get from them and then also the uh, fact that we've not being allowed to increase tuition fees by as much as we would have liked to, that's also placed us in a bit of a financial situation where we now need to look at other ways of finding um, additional resources of revenue. The university um, last year, well, in fact, it started about two years ago, already started putting together a financial sustainability plan, and we looked at how we can improve our um, income streams. And um, one of the ways that was identified was to look at uh, starting with foundations um, across the world to see how we can reach out to our alumni to see how they can contribute to the funding of the universe to give back, um, so to speak. And we've seen that as a very successful way of of, um, enhancing our income or enhancing income in general if you look at what's happening at other universities in the world. And again, if you look at the... um, U.S. universities, they've been, in fact, very successful in getting their, their, their alumni to put back and give back to in, 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 in the way of, of financial contributions. Well, we can't compare, of course, to Harvard, but Harvard is something like 50 billion, it was in 22, their endowment. I mean, that is the same as the GDP of a, of a smaller economy. Do you have a target that you want to raise? So at this stage, because it's it's uh, still in, in its infancy, I mean, the U.S. Foundation, for instance, the UPS U.S. Foundation, is about three years old now. So we've just managed to to put everything in place. So that includes, you know, getting all the admin sorted out and making sure that we comply with all the local legislation in the country. The UK Foundation was just launched this month. So uh, we haven't set a target as such, but what we want to do is we want to make sure that we first get all our alumni involved and then go to them and say, look, here we have a, a proper body that you can donate money through to assist students um, in South Africa. And um, yeah, I mean, and hopefully, you know, they'll come to the party. We're very confident that we've seen 
people getting involved, you know, even on the launch day itself, a, a number of our alumni come to us and said, look, I want to become involved. Tell me how I can support the university's foundation. Oh, and so the response has been good from both yeah, London and... Positive. I mean, I think, you know, as I said, it's still in the beginning. The first thing for us now is to start forming chapters. So, you know, by forming a chapter in, in the cities that the foundations are based, we get the people involved. So then the network starts to build and from there we hope to grow it and we see um, how um, alumni can then contribute to the university. I think it's important here just, and, and I'm sorry, I'm interrupting myself here. If you think about ways of contribute that um, alumni can make contributions, it is not just funding. It's also helping us with setting up networks, right? Introducing us to potential funders. So we have people working, for instance, in financial institutions in London and, and New York, and they, they come into contact with funders, trustees, foundations, that look at ways of uh, that would like to get involved in funding institutions like the University of Victoria, and we're hoping for them to make introductions to put us into contact with those people. Then we'll go out and meet with them, and that also that's another way of them assisting us in, in building those foundations. At the same time, we we're looking at alumni contributing through you know offering internships or mentorship for for students. So there's lots of ways for the alumni to get involved. So although our focus in, in terms of the foundations is very much on the funding side. It is also for us, there's also other ways that alumni can get involved in, in making a difference. So what is the alumni getting back? What, what does it mean for you? Yeah. So I think from a funding perspective, there's always tax incentives for alumni based in the countries that they are in. Um, interestingly enough, the US, as I've said, is very well developed in terms of making contributions to charitable funds like ourselves. So what they do there is, for instance, in addition to the um, tax rebates that they get when they um, contribute to uh, foundations like ours, there's also, uh, you know, what they call the match giving. It's and it's it's really where um, companies that you work for will match whatever you donate to that institution, and that's also another bit tax benefit for for the company as well as for the individual. You know, so so hopefully they get something back in that way. But then there's also, you know, I think it's it's just that. If there's a good culture of giving back, you know, showing people that you're prepared to support your alma mater, showing people that you're prepared that to, to help a student in need, I think that it makes you feel good about, you know, doing something and making a contribution to not just the country, but also to the world. Because in the end, the graduates that graduate from the University of Victoria go on and they make a difference in the rest of the world. You know, they contribute to the economies of many countries. We have approximately 300 alumni and, uh, and many of them are based in other countries where they actively participate in those countries. They, they make a contribution, not just in terms of the taxes that they pay but, and, and participating in the economy, but also in terms of the research maybe that they're involved with, you know, and how that has an impact on, um, on the country and its people. Well, we've seen recently with Harvard that also gives them a bit of clout because they actually got rid of the president when she became politically controversial. I'm not sure that the alumni tax would have clout to steer the university in a direction. So we, I mean, there's several ways that the um, alumni at, at our university can be involved in the managing of the university. For instance, we have the convocation board, which consists of alumni that is in an advisory capacity and they you know, they have regular engagements with the executive of the university where they guide us on how they think, you know, we should be doing things. And that's always obviously welcome. I mean, that you know, we have many experts 
or the board is made up of experts in terms of finance, technology, investment, whatever. So they definitely make a contribution and they definitely guide the university's management in terms of what they think is good for the institution. And and if if they if they've already bought in like that, it means that they participate and that they can really make a difference in terms of what they can do for the institution. So we welcome that relationship and it's 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 an it's part of the university's tradition to to look at its to look to its alumni to to advise to you know and to steer to guide us. So if I as an alumni and you know I am one, you know where would my money go? What would it be used for? Yeah, that depends very much on where you would like it to go. I mean, so we have a, a number of projects, for instance. So, re- and that, those projects range from research projects right through to help for students. Um, you know, it can go towards bursaries, accommodation, tuition fees. It could go towards helping students who are who are struggling to find meals on a daily basis. You know, we have a, a program here where we uh, we have a pantry where students can come, especially those students that are struggling, can come and take groceries and, you know, if they're struggling to find food, for instance, and, and go and prepare their own their own meals. So your contribution can go to whatever you feel is a worthy cause or something that you feel interested in. And uh, there's a range of those, and it's all available available on our website. So if you go to the University of Pretoria website, you'll see there's a, um, a special section called Giving at UP. And if you click on there, there's many different ways that you can contribute and as I said earlier, it's not just about financial contributions. It's also about mm. offering your services as a mentor or as a as, a, as an employer to provide um, internship opportunities for um, students or, or newly graduates. Well, I look at your brochure and you were talking about this problem of funding um, the missing middle and that some of the money would be used for that. What is the missing middle? So in South Africa, we have the uh, what we call... Um, Free education, and and that's really where government supports the the, the poor students that the financially needy students, and uh, currently um, those are students that come from a household uh, where the um, joint um, income is below three hundred fifty thousand rand a year. So those students um, qualify for free education. So they get the tuition fees and accommodation fees are paid for them. Then we have the students. From, from rich parents, obviously they can afford to pay their tuition fees. And then there's a, the missing middle, which what we call, or what, what was coined the missing middle. is uh, Those are really students that come from poor, or not poor families, but families where they, it's a single um, parent household, for instance. It's an household where the parents are either policemen or teachers or nurses. They don't earn a lot of money, and sometimes it's just not, they're not just not able to afford um, tertiary education for their children. And those are the students that are currently not being funded by any anything. So um, um, recently, the Minister of Higher Education did announce a new scheme to help fund that group of students. Um, that's still being in the process of being rolled out. It's not being, it's not, it hasn't happened yet, but hopefully that will go some way in allevi- alleviating the, the, the pressure on those parents and helping them to get their children to attend university as well. So how big is this, that group at um, Tux? So it's interesting. Really? We, we, we don't have the exact numbers, but if you think mm-hmm. about the way we look at it, we see usually, we ha- well, we see we have about 55,000 students um, at the university. Uh, uh, about 10,000 of those students are um, mm-hmm. 
qualify for NISPA. So they are, those are NISPA's, what we call students that are funded by, um, by, by government. And then we, we reckon we have another about 10 to 12% of missing middle students at the universities. But uh, hmm. the exact number is not, um, is not known simply because students don't necessarily declare all of that. We know there's no ways of knowing what your parents earn if you don't have if it's not a requirement for you to uh, to submit it somewhere like it is a requirement for instance for NISPA students. Are there any plans to expand these alumni engagements to other regions, not only the UK and the US, like Australia? Yeah, so there's we, a large group of Australian uh, South exactly, Africans there. Yeah. So that's a, it's exactly what we're trying to do at the moment. Our next port of call is Australia. So we're looking at, we've recently established a new chapter in Perth. So, um, and hopefully we can then also follow that up with the establishment of a charitable trust in, in Australia. Um, you know, we want to do our homework before we do that. It's obviously, this, it's very important that we look at the potential of, you know, what is there, can, you know, is it, is it, um, is the environment friendly to, to establish a charitable for, uh, foundation. Because you must remember, not all countries um, look at this as a, as a, uh, as a way of, of or as a, um, what's the word I'm looking for, as a, a friendly way of raising funds in a country. You know, some countries, you know, would not support mm. that. You obviously need to be able to offer some sort of benefits for the alumni that are based in those countries before you can go ahead and establish a foundation like that. But we certainly are looking at Australia and New Zealand are uh, an, another country, and then maybe in, in, in a country in, in Europe, you know. And then um, we, we also have strong support in, um, in Canada. Um, there's, there's a number of our alumni based in Canada. Um, so, yeah, uh, we, and then, of course, Africa. Our, as our student population becomes more and more diverse, um, a lot of our um, um, graduates find themselves in, in countries in Africa. Uh, we have a strong contingent in, in Kenya already, and we're also looking at, at establishing a foundation there at some point. Can we just look at a current issue? Um, there's been issues last year with the NSFAS allowance payments. But, um, do you, are you having similar problems in the current academic year? Yeah, there's, there's, we still have a few issues. I think just the sheer um, number of applications that Ms. Fliss has um, have received, you know, makes it very difficult to, to process. So... We are still waiting for some of our students who are who are wanting to register to find out if they uh, they've been approved by this bus uh, that hasn't been finalised. It is a pity because we've already started with the academic year and those students cannot register until they've heard back from this bus. We are working very closely with this bus and they are helping us to to make sure that we get the information through and and that we get the students vetted as soon as possible. That is still in two years. Campuses in, in South Africa have, have not been as stable as in my days, I think. Mm-hmm. There's sort of much more um, students, probably more demanding. And at the moment, you are dealing with, with a strike. I mean, how do you, universities navigate these turbulent waters that they have to face every now and then and teach people? And you only would have something like nine, ten months to get them, you know, through a year. Yeah, that's really challenging. And uh, and, but I think, you know, universities are microcosms of what's happening in the broader, in broader society. So there's, um, you know, the socioeconomic issues facing this country is, is very real at universities as well. And that's why we see this constant flux at universities where students, uh, you know, there's a, there's a huge issue around the lack of accommodation. Um, um, 
the lack of funding to get students into university. And there's this huge demand. You know, if you think about it, the University of Pretoria receives about annually, or this year, the last year, we received about um, more than 60,000 applications to study at university for, for first years. We have places, we can only accommodate about 8,500 students. So there's a huge mismatch there. So if the demand you know, exceeds supply, then you can imagine it would drive, lead to some tensions. And, and that's what you see, you know, that coupled with the, as I said, the socioeconomic conditions in the country, high employment, all of that um, makes for a perfect mix of, of instability. And it, it happens at institutions as well. And we've seen that institutions, I think, are, um, it, it varies, but institutions are dealing with this in, in the best like, way they can. It's not always easy. But we've always managed to complete an academic year, even during COVID, although it took us a month or two longer, but we've managed to complete the academic year and to see students graduate successfully. So at least we, you know, we can still say that. And we still do that while we maintain really high standards. You know, we are still rated as an institution, and I'm not speaking about the other universities, as one of the best institutions in the world, you know. Uh, we've uh, So uh, I think, and, and, and we still get a lot of, interest from foreign students wanting to come and study at, at universities like ourselves. But foreign students, more from Africa or also from overseas? From overseas, from all over. Everywhere. Asia, US, yeah, Europe, uh, also Africa, they make up the majority, but um, definitely from other countries as well, yes. So how would um, University of Pretoria be rated internationally for its research and, and for the courses that it presents? Yeah. So you know, I think the university is very fortunate you know, that it has some of the best researchers in the world. You know, they compare really with some of the best researchers in the world. If you think about just one example, our veterinary sciences mm. faculty, they call to, to countries across the world to help with, um, with research, doing research in those countries, also to help with issues that, that emerge in those countries. So um, we're actually very proud with the, what, the work that we're doing, not just in terms of veterinary science, but also agricultural science. You know, the work that we do in terms of... Um, Food sustainable, food security, sustainability, that sort of thing. Um, university, uh, you know, they are obviously they experts in terms of uh, drought resistance crops. You know how the research that we do in terms of that. You know, and and the work and the contributions that we make towards that. So yeah, the university is seen as one of a, a leading research institution when it comes to helping other countries and making an impact in the world, uh, in both in terms of you know. Well, not both, but in terms of, of all the fields that we, we experts in. So it, it's, for us, it's a great, great opportunity. Yeah. Oh, Rikas Dalport from the University of Pretoria, thank you so much. Thank you very much for your time. Mm-hmm.